the volume. This sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on this show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. <laughs> Let's talk about your time in WWE, being there, being a part of NXT. We talked earlier about um, you and Jesse meeting there and getting together and the success that you had while you were there, followed up by being released rather unexpectedly. What did that do to you in terms of like that feeling that we were just talking about of like, man, is the world against me doing this? Why would I be released while having success? And definitely felt like there was like a spotlight on you. In NXT and your your time there, it seemed like everything was on the up and up. So, what was that like for you to be released like that unexpectedly? It's it's interesting to see that um, uh, people had that thought about me. Like I was on the up and up in NXT, and I was like, oh man, you were getting a lot of success. But at the time, there was like no chatter about me in NXT at all because for that first year, like I felt like I was just like a good hand to have, and that's also what built up a lot of like that resentment is starting to build a little bit. Because I put over the Leo Rushes, I put over the Cameron Grimeses, I put over the Sanchez Escobarses, I put over, you know, the Bronson Reeds, the Austin Theories. I kept putting all these people over. Even when um, MSK first came in, their debut was against me. I put them over. I put over Leon Ruffs. So it was just like, okay. And I had like a couple conversations with Triple H. I'm like, when am I going to be your guy? What is it going to take for me to be your guy? I had three, three specific conversations with him. I'll never forget them that I always push the envelope for 
even I text him one day. I was like, can I have a conversation with you? He's like, oh, is there anything that you can talk to Matt Bloom about? I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay. And then like, I would like stare holes in him all day at production. Just like, I wanted them to feel the heat that I was like glaring on him. And finally, like when we did have a conversation, I'm like, what is your hesitation putting the ball in my hands? And he gave me like the answers that kind of felt like they were repetitious answers from this person asking them, this person asking them, and the one before. And I was like, okay, I got it. So I knew keep tapping that egg, it wasn't going to work. So I'm like, okay, here's me. I got to be creative. I got to think again. So I went to Sean. Me and Sean, uh, Michael started really like sitting down, having hour long tape studies, just me and him, no distractions, not in the middle of TV day. It was just me and him in the office. We were watching me and, and Matt Riddle from Defy Wrestling. We were watching my PCW Ultra stuff from LA. We were watching like other stuff. I'm like, okay, I want to watch what got you here. Why are you here? That's what I, that's the person I want to see. And that's what turned everything around for me. So it took like a year of like doing all that stuff to get to that point, to be able to do that, to have that equity, to even get that like conversation, that window open. And then it was just like, okay, cool. And that's where the, started really turning around that's where like my hair color started changing my, they put the grills in my mouth and all that other stuff i really started dabbing into the hip-hop feel of things and me and bronson had another tv match uh jonah and we just went at it because like i feel like triple h didn't feel like i was like intense enough and i was like okay so we just beat the crap out of each other boom had a banger and then it was like that's the when the light bulb went off for them and then Stephanie McMahon came up and said, you're like my favorite heel. You're my favorite heel here. And then I, then everything just kind of whirlwind and went up from there. Oh, that's cool. That's when Hit Row started forming. They, they literally, the hit makers, they put them with me and we just grew, uh, formed this family type vibe. And it was really cool because like uh, AJ was like the godfather of like templating a lot of what we would say and what we would do. So he would build the tree and we would all just implement all our stuff. It was cool because every every week of promoing, we would like rotate the who's the who's the head of the dragon that week. Then that's what made every promo unique. We didn't have a formulaic thing where you're like, oh, this is they're doing that thing again. We never had that. It was like, oh, to who do you need to be the centerfold this one? Because like you're falling back here. We need to push you up here this week. So boom, he would like ignite the fire, be the aggressive one. And Brianna would be this. Then we would have little bets between us. I'm like, all right, who's not going to flub a line today? All right, cool. Anybody flubs a line, you got to put $25 on. So we would like trying to get through it without like flubbing the line. And so like, and Brianna was like so professional. She never, never, not one time skipped a line on nothing, never flubbed a line. She was always on point. So we was always like doing these little things. Um, getting called up was awesome. That felt like, um, it felt like the Misfits finally won, you know, like you can't deny us anymore. That's what it felt like uh, that win. Like, cause the, you know, in every industry, every promotion, there's favorites. It's not, I wouldn't call them as much favorites, but they're the go-to guys for the product. You know, you're going, you know what you're going to get when you put these guys on and they're positioned that way for a reason. But it was like, we can do that too. And we can do it differently. We're not saying better. We're not saying we're going to like, pop the rating to a whole new thing, but we can do this differently and it's going to be different and unique. And that's all we asked for. And then we got it. We finally got it for those like five months of NXT. We got it. We were prominent. We didn't tread into anybody else's lane. Nobody treaded into ours. We were here 
moving forward. And um, I feel like main roster happened and everything. They didn't take that same chance that a Sean would. How frustrating was that to like to step into that world? I mean, I've had this conversation. I've been there, you know, obviously I've witnessed this firsthand. But to have that success and feel like, okay, we're getting somewhere, shit is on track, then you're like, you know, everyone's always clamoring to get that main roster call up, then you get it and it's not what you thought it was going to be. It hit hard because they got rid of Brianna right away. It was like, oh, that indicated to me and everybody else was like, I don't think they believe in us as much as they think they should believe in us. For me, the writing was on the walls. I'm like, oh, okay. There's not as far as we can go if they're already just like dismantling pieces like Legos off the bat. And especially the time where WWE was going, everybody was kind of like flying off the shelf left and right. It was literally like uh, the movie Nope. People just getting sucked into the sky. And it was like, oh, okay, he's gone now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So so that once again reignited a whole new fire in me. And when I got let go, it was like, oh, I'm going to hit the phones and I'm going to like make myself the hottest commodity in wrestling. The first two days was like a little rough, but then it's like um, I remember watching uh, uh, Drake Maverick, his promo video. He's like, that phone's always going to ring. It always does. And it's like, you know what? That man is right. Sure enough, the phone started ringing. I started getting options and I took a trip to L.A. to try to like, okay, I can't just go in as just me as the wrestler. I got to come in with like a whole bunch of assets that I can attribute to any product that I'm going to go to. So I just went went to L.A. for like two weeks in Hollywood. I met some people in entertainment, um, met some producers. Literally, I built a team over there that supported me and my podcast and all these other things and my music. So when I got signed, it was like, oh, uh, by the way, I'm not just coming here with like, I don't want to just do your like get a music entrance song applied to me. I have music already. Oh, and this guy that did it, um, he won two Grammys. So what do we have? So he's like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Okay, cool. So now that set me apart. Then it was like, okay, we, um, I'm doing this. I'm making these appearances. I'm going to the Grammys. I'm going to this. I'm going to do that. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, by the way, I have Kevin Gates. We can bring him in. Oh, oh, okay, cool. So like right away, I was just like the first three months in AEW made me completely forget about my last three years in WWE. Because <laughs> it's just like I put all that focus and energy and that resentment and stuff into building something, you know? and now it's like I'm here seven months and I truly believe without a shadow of a doubt, I'm the best acquisition of 2022 in any company, you know, because I'm I've been consistent. I'm here. I'm like, you don't just see me on a wrestling ring. You see me every which way. Like there's a camera. I'm going to be in it. I'm, there's an interview. I'm going to be in front of it. There's a song. I'm going to be rapping on it. There's an artist. I'm going to be here. Like I want to be everywhere. And those big disappointments turn into big successes later on for me. Yeah, absolutely. It puts that chip on your shoulder that just kind of like grows, but it also forces you to kind of like reevaluate yourself and be like, okay, how can I use this, I guess, downtime to like rebuild and restructure this package? And yeah, like you said, here we are 2022 and what a year you've been able to have thus far. Um, What is it like working with Tony? How has your time in AEW been and being paired up with somebody like Keith Lee? Me and Keith were like, we literally tagged on the indies before he got signed to WWE. And that was like 2017. He is someone who also has just the biggest chip on his shoulder as me because he was promised the world. And unfortunately for him, he got sick too. And it was like, not a, just an easy, have some Robitussin and get back up and you're ready to go. No, he was like facing death and was like out of commission for a while, you know? 
So I felt like he had the chip on his shoulder for his career and for personal reasons with his life as well. It got to the point like, man, I don't want to let this man down. Like I, I was there in Texas watching him come out to the Royal Rumble. I was there at Survivor Series and watching him go one-on-one with Roman Reigns. I was there watching that live. And so that's the kind of person I have as a tag partner. That's who's on my side. I got to step my game up. I look at him as like literally one of the best like influences in our industry and the culture side in so many different ways. So just being able to just make him laugh every day at TV. Cause like, I just want to like crack a joke and then go out like, all right, see you out there. And then like, I'll go through the curtain. So now he's has such a good mood coming through, especially with a roster so stacked like AEW. Like, I feel like it's easy to be overseen. I feel like our match at all out, people expect, oh, this is going to be a fun match. Cool. But nobody was expecting the match to be on the caliber it was. And like the reaction, holy shit. Like that crowd was bonkers. Um, And you guys, you had some pretty funny responses to people uh, online as well. Oh, yeah. Because (laughs) like, I feel like it wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't like they, it wasn't like as much as like, we didn't expect it to happen. Like, wait, this wasn't supposed to happen. It, it, It happens all the time. Like, just like when me and Keith won the tag titles, it wasn't supposed to happen. Like instead of like giving us a congratulations, giving us our flowers. Oh, congratulations. It was just like, wait, what? Huh? I was like, oh, that's how you're going to feel. Okay. We're just going to steal the show again and take it away from your favorites. I don't know what to tell you. So then again, on TV, we weren't advertised for the match with the Lucha Bros. It kind of came up that day. It was like, oh, cool. There's like a world title match. Like there's some good stuff on here. Okay. Time to do it again. And sure enough, we did it again because it's like, that's the competitive nature we have in us. We don't want to just be falling in line. We want to stand ahead of everybody. We have the ability to do it. So why wouldn't we? And the fact that nobody expects it from us, that's what makes us so special. And that's what makes the show so special because anybody can take it at any given time. Who wants it more? And we're, me and Keith are always going to come out there and show we want it more. Y'all got to try to work extra hard to try to top us. And that makes the product better. That makes the locker room better. It's just like, oh, shit, they did it again. Oh, my God. Why, wh- what do we got to do? You got to get better. Keep the stakes high. Yep. Make everybody step up. Absolutely. And Tony respects that. And he loves that. Like now we're producing results for it, too. It's not just like just saying shit to say it. No, we're producing results. We're pop. We're like people believe in this. You hear that? You see that on the reports and all this other stuff? We're producing results and me and Tony are on the same page when it comes to a lot of these things, because we are going to produce results for it. We're not just going to say it just because it gets us to feel. No, it's going to produce something. It's super fun to watch. And it's, you know, you guys are in such a great spot and the tag division um, in AEW is so strong. I mean, geez, the depth of talent that you guys have out there is amazing um, and much continued success to you guys. But I need to talk to you about this because as I was talking to this, John and I talked about this a while ago, but I remember we were talking about you and he got so excited, like lit up talking about Killshot. He was like, that guy's Killshot. Oh my God. (laughs) So he was like, I didn't know who that was for the longest time. Like I had no idea who this Killshot guy was. 
Talk to me about Killshot and kind of like what you were able to accomplish as Killshot and kind of like putting your your stamp on the map. Well, it was funny because like in the locker room, he didn't have that same kind of energy when it presented it to me. Because it was, it, I like I walk in, he was like he was like, "Hey, you that you're a Killshot, right? You that crazy <laughs> crazy match? Oh, I thought that guy retired or something. I don't know. I was like, no, no, that's me. I'm here. Like he's like, I thought Present. this guy just had." I thought this guy had that one great crazy match and then just walked away and then like never seen again. I'm like, John, we have the same tattoos. Like I've had the same tattoo since then. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> but, oh my God. So, so funny. That was, like, that was like two months ago. He brought that up to me, but that was a character. Like I came up with when I got brought in, um, it was from Conan. Conan saw a match. I, I sent him a match of mine that I had with Mike Daly from CZW years ago. He brought me to a tryout in LA and I did a bunch of scramble matches as dark matches and stuff. And they were like, oh, man, he can go. We like him. So they put me on the mask, put me in a tag in a trios with uh, Big Rick and Willie Mack. And they were like, OK, you come up with the character. We'll make the mask all based off what you come up with. So me and a buddy of mine were just like, we came up with Killshot. So it was Deadshot and Deathstroke. It was really cool characters for Batman and all that stuff. Um, I did the season. I had fun matches, but I didn't have like a character direction. Uh, I had a talk with Conan by the ringside and they were doing Ultima Lucha, which is like their WrestleMania Ultima Lucha uh, for the season. And I wasn't on it. And he was like, hey, man, you look a little down, bro. I was like, oh, man, I just, you know, I just want to just do more. You know, I want to contribute to the show. He's like, what you can do to get on shows like this, you got to step out and like really bring it. Like there's some guys can jump the card because they do something exponentially cool. Some guys jump the card because they have that charisma. That's just you can't deny it. So you got to put them on. You got to find your way. And I was like, challenge accepted. Season two came around. Uh, during that break, I wrote the whole backstory for the character and presented it to them. They loved it. And so they they came up with all these like video shoots and all these vignettes that I was going to shoot, like me in the desert shooting, killing terrorists and stuff. So that already set me aside from everybody. That I was an actual human person, a military person with skills, but I can be hurt. I wasn't a mythical creature character. When, from a Mayan Aztecian background or heritage, I wasn't a luchador. I wore a mask, but I wasn't a luchador. So that put me in a lane as like a human being. And what I really started playing with when me and Marty the Moth started having the feud, he wasn't like the best, like the biggest luchador. He wasn't like couldn't fly around as fluently as like a Ricochet, a Johnny Mundo, Angelico, Jack Evans, Phoenix, Penta, just naming those guys. Like this is like the most athletic roster in wrestling history. So instead, we just like, yo, let's just like fight. Let's actually fight because you're bigger than me, but you're psychotic. I'm smaller than you, but I have skills and I will not give up. We just started going at it. And that grew interest in, in a few that was like kind of like kind of set to the side. It got to a prominent role and they was like, OK, we need to put this on TV because these guys are killing each other. Then that went to the weapons of mass destruction match. That character created Dante Fox. That when they brought in AR Fox. So now my character, the story that I wrote is bringing in other characters from my story. And so now my work, my, my little universe is expanding to is creating people. We feuded all the way to the end of season three and we stole the show by having a hell of a war match, which was like the two out of three falls. But it was like the first one was first blood match, which I wore a mask. He didn't. Oh, who's going to bleed? So we flipped it and made it me going through a pane of glass and now I'm bleeding from the back. So everybody's expectation was like, oh, snap, I didn't see that coming. 
So, and that's what we loved about that match was just like every expectation you thought was going to happen, we flipped it and did the opposite. And that made a better story. And throughout the season, we had matches and tag matches and stuff. But I always made sure Fox was bigger, stronger, and better than me because I wanted him to be the saber tooth to my Wolverine. Like, it's like, man, how do I beat this guy? And then I want people watching. How does he beat this guy? How does he do it? So a lot of his unselfishness went into doing so matches like that and doing a story to build up to such a big, great match because it's just like my opponent was my machine I'm building. I'm building him because I have to take him down, but I don't want it to be 50-50. No, it should be like, I have to go through hell to take you out because there's no other way. And like, and I take a lot of movie scenes. It's like oh, the villain always falls off some long fall, <laughs> some building at the end because the hero's like on the one, this last dying breath and stuff. So I was like, what if we did the fall and you went through all this glass? He was like, okay. I'm like, are you, are you sure you want to do this by yourself? I'll go with you and we can make it like a whatever. He's like, no, no, I'm the villain, bro. I got to do it. So <laughs> did a fake glass thing. Boom, hit him in the head. He takes the plummet and the whole story was so poetic because like I left him for dead in the military overseas and we were at war. So and the um, warrior ethos is no soldier left behind. So when he fell, he boom, he vanquished in the glass. I picked him up and put my soldier in the military evac because there's no soldier left behind. So that's a military ethos that we all oh, live by. So, cool. so it was really cool to see see something all the way through like that. And then having the freedom to like, we're hands off. Y'all got 40 minutes. Just go. Dude, you pull from so many references. I mean, during this interview from like the music that you pull from, you've mentioned different comic books from Wolverine and Batman and whatnot to the movie. Nope. Like all these different worlds. How like, does your brain ever shut off or are you just constantly like eyes open, ears open? What can I use? What can I use to parlay into wrestling, into music? Um, no, it's, I'm like receptive to everything because I feel like that's kind of like what builds what we love so much. I watch a lot of movies. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cinema person. What is your thing right now? What are you watching? What are you watching or what are you listening to? Is there something that you're like super into at this exact moment? I watched, uh, the cyberpunk edge runners show on Netflix that just popped, that just came up. Um, there's a, it's very unique artly done. It's crazy, super violent, super brutal. Um, so if you do check it out, forewarning, um, it's crazy. It's 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 brutal. I'm a video game guy. I'm a, my favorite thing. My favorite video game of all time, the series of Metal Gear, which is like super super deep and espionage and all this other stuff. Um, music wise, uh, man, my man Michi Darko just dropped an album from Flatbush Zombies, which is really awesome really great he experiments with his vocals his voice he can manipulate his voice in such different ranges it's awesome i'm a gambino guy kanye of course all-time favorite travis scott tyler creator tyler creator is one of the most brilliant minds in music period not just hip-hop but music period me and jess went to see him live when he came to orlando at the amway center inspiring those are the guys that inspire me like crazy asap rocky love his music videos just kendrick pushes the boundaries, every album, pushes the sound. He does it in such a way that nobody can duplicate him. And when you do hear it, you see the influence when other artists do it. Like, I, I just like following the guys that like set the tone on something. And then I love following the guys that took that tone and then now they just revised it and flipped it and made it their own. And I was like, 
oh my god how did he take that and it's like there's times i've made i took in um musical performances and put them in matches just because i just wanted the camera shot the same way and i put it in a match i don't even know if it'll work i'm like i have no idea if the crowd will even respond to that but if i believe in it they'll believe in it so i just do shit sometimes they'll be like how are you going to get to that i don't know <laughs> we'll see what happens <laughs> We'll see what happens, but just follow me because yeah, I need you certainly. to feel it too. Well, listen, dude, I'm so pumped that I got to have you on here. You're a fascinating person. It's been really fun to pick your brain and all the different aspects of the way you look at things to the way that you actually construct it and put it together. Um, and like I said, it's like just a success that you're having in AEW, the acquisition of 2022, you and Keith Lee together, uh, total blast to watch. And um, I'm going to see you out in New York. I'm going to be out at Arthur Ashe. I'll see you out there. Joy Taylor here on the sessions. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you on here. I mean, you are such a like trailblazer in our industry. You are absolutely crushing it. Um, and we're getting into all things Joy Taylor, all things speak, all things Colin Cowherd and the herd. Um, but yeah, just wanted to catch up and see how you're doing. I mean, you and I, when we first met, we were like kind of sharing a, a, a dressing room when I was at Fox. I would like pop in and like take a little corner. And then I felt really bad when I was like, oh, this is like your full dressing room. And I would like invade a little bit no you were uh, you were a great dressing room mate uh things have changed a lot since uh covid with sharing the dressing rooms. um but yeah i mean you wouldn't they've done a lot actually um i've had the same dressing room for six and a half years that i've been here at fox but they they kind of redid them so they're they're nice they have like a new shiny mirror and stuff so does it kind of piss you off when somebody comes in there and you open your door and somebody's luggage is inside your dressing room no 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 not at all i i mean this place is it's like my second home like it's kind of like an apartment at this point like i have everything i need here to like live but no not at all it's uh <laughs> it's it's totally fine to share Here's my big takeaway from um, invading in your dressing room from time to time was that you always have beautiful flowers in the dressing room. What's the deal with that? Is this a romantic thing? Is this just a are you buying your own flowers? Where are the flowers coming from? Well, I do like to have flowers around, um, not not dead flowers, though. So I have to get them out of here. Um, but no, I like to have flowers. Around. I like to have fresh flowers in the house, you know, so I I like I said, like this is kind of my home away from home. Like I brought in a, a Febreze air freshener <laughs> today. I have like a diffuser here. So like I kind of live here. I've taken many naps here in between shifts. Yeah. So I just kind of try and keep it as I do my home. Those little touches make a huge difference. I'm a huge advocate for having fresh flowers in the house as well. It's just a little life, a little bit of beauty. But when I would travel, I would always bring like a travel size candle with me as well, because that was like a nice just get it in the hotel room, add a little bit of your own special juju. And I feel like it goes a long way to just make that extra space feel more homey. No, it is. It's important. It's important to like feel comfortable. And I, you know, we probably sound like, you know, bougie talent right now, but you know, I need my candle and I need them and then my, and fresh, my flowers. fresch flowers. Oh, shut up. Totally. <laughs> but I think for any kind of like workspace, you, that, that's why people decorate, you know, they're It's a little Zen. Yeah. You yeah. want to make something feel that you're going to spend a lot of time in, feel comfortable and feel like you and, you know, have a little bit of your energy and what makes you feel comfortable in that space. So I think it's normal. 
So how are you feeling right now? You are in the new show. It is up and running. I feel like that was like a very quick transition. I'm like, last day on the herd. Now speak is starting like such a cool moment. But it's also, I'm sure, a little bit of that, like getting your feet back under you, doing a brand new show with a new cast. What is going on right now? Like, how do you feel about everything? I feel great. We are, we have two weeks in now. So um, that's, it's a big milestone for a new show. You know, the first week you're kind of like, everything's just happening. And so, you know, by the second week, you're starting to get your feet under you. I've worked on, this is my third show on the network now because I did Undisputed for two years and then obviously The Herd for little over three years and now this new show. So I've gone through this transition uh, several times. So, you know, I kind of know what to expect at this point, but this is a totally new show, a totally new format. And we, the, the four of us have never worked on a show together. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts for everyone and, and it's at a new time as well. So that's it's a different schedule for everyone. I've worked mornings for the last 10 years, I think, maybe longer. So I'm still adjusting to, I'm like, what time of day it is? I feel like I'm always late for work because it's, uh, it's like the middle of the day when I come in. So, but it's great. The show has been really fun. It's a lot of energy. It's also an adjustment for me because I've done a radio, three hour radio show, radio television simulcast for the last three years so it's a different you know beats meaning the segments are not as long you have four people instead of two people talking sound bites oh yeah 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 exactly <laughs> uh, which is kind of fun because you know we can pass the ball around a little bit and you know it's not a debate show although we do you know get into arguments about sports because that's what, that's how people communicate it's our love language is arguing about sports, but it's not a debate show. So, you know, one day it'll be, you know, one thing and the next day it'll be something else. And that is kind of the fun of doing a new show and doing a format that is sort of unique. How different is it going from working with someone like Colin and developing the chemistry with him over the three years to now pivoting, being in a new space, working with Emmanuel Acho, working with LaShawn McCoy? Like, what is it like just adjusting to new personalities in that space? I like the challenge of, you know, starting something new. I'm, I don't know that I'm unique in that I really embrace change or that I just am wired that way, but I, I like to look at these transitional moments in life and kind of like reflect on what it was and then get excited about the new thing without, you know, Colin uses that, that metaphor, you know, be a, be a windshield person, not a rear view mirror person. So it's very different, obviously, but we're doing such a different show. You know, I'm, I came from a radio background. So doing the show with Colin was um, in some ways easier because I had spent so much time in my career in radio. And while our show obviously is a, a massive television show, we had a have, they heard has affiliates, hundreds of affiliates around the country. So the show airs simultaneously on radio and radio and television are two very different formats. So it's a very unique show in itself. And that is three hours. That's a very long time for a television show to normally air. So, you know, I was very kind of uniquely used to doing a show like the herd because that's how I started in the business. So going from that to obviously very different personalities and, you know, Shady and Emmanuel and Dave is, is, you know, it's a fun challenge because it's it's very different than what we've done really at the network and certainly what I've done. And it feels so different 
going from that like radio format and having those three hours to like really flesh out some ideas, really get into some conversations as opposed to moving into a shorter show. And now you're like, oh my gosh, we have to condense every little thing. You've got the commercial breaks. You've got all these other segments. By the time it's done sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way, but I know anytime I've been in that position, by the time the show's done, I'm like, did we even talk about anything? What happened? Like, cause it goes by so fast. It's definitely a different format um, in that regard, for sure. But I, I think when you- Are do you guys it, on for an hour? Is it? It's an hour and a half. That's good. Yeah. Um, but I also think because we pass the ball around so much, I don't really feel like I didn't get, the, if I'm really passionate about talking about something, I don't really feel like I didn't get the space to do it. Because you prepare differently for a, a long form radio show than you would for a show like ours, which is why Colin is so amazing at what he does, because he can contextualize of a story in a way that is like, OK, wow, we've talked about this for 15 minutes, whereas another show would maybe do two minutes on it because he's looking at it through a lens of radio and having a conversation. And that's why he's, you know, uses all these metaphors and, you know, draws these parallels to <laughs> you know, regular life in a way that only he can do. And you're not going to flesh it out to that point. You're not going to dig that deep on a show like ours because of obviously we're spreading it around four different ways, but that's why we approach the topics differently and the segments differently. So I don't feel like I don't get to explore a topic as much. Um, I think we're just approaching the topics in a different space. Also, because our show is later in the day, you know, in the morning, you're really like getting a lot of reaction and like, okay, this is what happened last night. It's, you know, if you missed any of it because you were asleep or whatever, working or whatever, like this is what happens. You know, these are the reactions. These are the injuries. And then you have the next show that's sort of digging into the biggest topics of it. And, you know, there's the debate hours. And then you have Colin who's contextualizing all of it. So we're at a different space in, in the sports day, if you will where we can kind of get into the topics in a more, uh, in a different way as well, because everyone already knows the news. You're getting into like the meat of it rather than the news headlines of it, right? Correct. And and it's not really like a breaking news hour either. Um, So, so yeah, so we, we get to kind of play around with the topics in in some different ways um, being that we're not really giving people new information. We're just, we're getting into our opinion on what what's been talked about today. Okay, give us some of the call and dirt to for you to work with him in the capacity that you did for so long. Um, I will say, I mean, obviously I, I work with Colin on the Volume Podcast Network. Get our little plug in there, everybody. But I don't get to hang out with him that often. But anytime I do, I'm like, man, the knowledge that this man just like bestows upon people and the way he looks at things. I'm like, I wish I could hang out with Colin a lot more. You've been able to do that. What is it like working with him in that capacity? And then I'll have a hundred follow-up questions after that. Colin and I are weirdly very much alike, which I did not expect. And most people wouldn't assume. Um, I'm sort of an old, and Colin is not an old curmudgeon. So this is not the way that I would parallel that. (laughs) But I am like a very female Larry David. And I just, I have such like a high irritation level. So I never really get mad or super happy about anything. And in some ways, Colin is like that as well. He's like a very even keeled person. He really doesn't lose his composure over anything. And in this, in a lot of ways, that's how he approaches, you know, news and stories as well. Is like there's no need to get to take something that happened personally. This story didn't happen to me. 
this is my opinion on it. So, and, and we come from, you know, very different places in the world and very different backgrounds, but we really saw a lot of stories and a lot of situations from the same, I don't want to say lens, but we landed at the same place, weirdly. Um, we're both Capricorns. Actually, me and Anne, his wife, have the same birthday. So he would say to me all the time, Anne always says stuff like that. You sound just like Anne. I'm like, well, I'm your work wife. So I'm glad that her and I are aligned on what we're telling you. Um, but, you know, he was he was really an amazing mentor for me because obviously he's, you know, the biggest name in the business and does the biggest show. But watching him prepare for that show and the work and the effort and the care that he has for the show is something that I, I really respect because not that people don't prepare for shows, but people can get very complacent, certainly, especially when you've been doing it for a long time and you've been at the top for a long time. It's very easy to sit back on your money and sit back on the reputation you've built and just go, I've already kind of done it. So the fact that he doesn't do that is very admirable. It's the Capricorn in him. Mm -hmm. It's the climber, you know, and he's, he really cares about the audience and really cares about giving a good show. We, when we started, we did not do a whole lot of the off the cuff stuff that we were doing, you know, particularly in the last year of the show. A lot of that also developed from doing four months of a three hour, five day a week show with no sports during the pandemic and at home. So that experience also really changed how we did the show because we had to really like lean on each other. There's just not, there's nothing to talk about. We're, we're literally covering the last dance documentary as like if it was happening live. Thank God that came out when it did, right? It carried us to the start of the NBA season. And we talk about it now and it's, you know, we, we joke about it. I'm like, I honestly don't remember. We, I blacked out. I don't remember what, how we did that. But it changed the show a lot, too, because, you know, obviously we went through this, you know, worldwide traumatic experience that everyone went through. But we were also the first show back on the network when we came back in studio and we just went through all these different, you know, phases and changes in the building and with the show and, you know, in life. So I think it, you know, I think it brought us closer as, you know, teammates and we could really trust each other a lot more. And then, you know, he. He's very laid back. He seems like he's like super serious guy all the time, sometimes on air. And I think people think that about him, like he can't joke with himself and, you know, he can't have fun. And that is just not who he is. Like he loves to joke around. He would allow me to tease him all the time on air, you know, when he's like saying lit too much and, you know, things like that. He's an incredible person to have worked with. Um, he really helped me, was a huge advocate for me gave me a massive platform, trusted me to take bigger space in the show. And I owe him a lot. He's really, been, he's really, really an amazing person. And he's an advocate for a lot of people and for young people in the business. And I think he shows that in his, you know, in his platforms as well. So I feel, you know, very blessed to have worked with him for the past couple of years. And he is a very special person. He has also gotten sensitive in the best way. Like he has kids, obviously he has a daughter. So he is, you know, I am not as massively sensitive person. So I, when I get like, when I feel a space where I'm okay being vulnerable around someone, it's like a big deal. Cause I don't allow a lot of people in that space for me. So, you know, going through, you know, this, when you do a show every day and this isn't, you know, complaining, it's just the fact of the business. You do a show every day. It doesn't matter what's going on in your personal life. And you can't let that just 
spew over everyone in the building and onto your teammate or on air. And, you know, that's not to say that you should, you know, torture yourself if you're going through something. Oh, I like to bury it deep, just bury it deep and let it yeah, me fester too. over me too. the years. It's great. <laughs> me too. And then I'll talk to my therapist, you know, in a healthy way. Um, but yeah, like, you know, you, you go through things in life too. So he's, he was there for me through a lot of, a lot of things as well. Um, and you know, was, was sensitive to what I was dealing with. So, um, he's just a great person. I can't say enough good things about, about Colin and uh, what we did on the show together was really special. And I'm glad I was a part of it. How was it when you had to drop the bomb on him that you were leaving? I didn't really have to do that. <laughs> Make the agents go in and do it. <laughs> so that was good. Um, but no, he, I mean, he talked about it. He said when he first found out he was a little, you know, he said he pouted. Um, I never saw that side of it, but he, you know, he said he was, you know, not really happy about it, but you know, he's, he's a big advocate of mine. And you know what he said, like, you know, good people want to grow and aspirational people want to move on to, you know, bigger responsibilities and different roles. And I can't be mad at her for doing that. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it came from being on my show, which is something I can be proud of. Uh, And he's right. So he was very supportive of it. um, And he, he understood, you know, my desire to move into a full-time opinionist role. I mean, this is what I got in the business to do was to get to this space that I'm in right now. So it was, it was a really monumental opportunity for me. This is what I came to LA to do, what I came to FS1 to do. And now I'm getting the opportunity to do it on Speak. And obviously the platform on the herd is massive, but the role is different on Speak is I'm, you know, equal to all the men on the show. And that is very powerful, as you know, in our business to be in that space and to have that have that airtime and, you know, be, be the same. Circling back to what that's like, whether you're going through some stuff personally, whether it's crazy things that have been happening in the world. And as an opinionist, being on these shows in these big platforms with highly sensitive subjects um, and things that would affect you directly, how do you navigate those waters? How do you kind of manage that while staying true to an opinion, while it's still being a very emotional thing and just all that kind of encompasses that? Well, I really do not like to be reactionary when it's something that's serious. Now, sometimes you aren't granted that space because it's breaking news and you have to talk about something right away. But I really like to toss things over several times before I give a strong opinion about something that is very serious. Who do you toss those to? Do you do it internally or you have someone you kind of bat those back and forth with? I definitely do it internally. If it's something that I feel could be very controversial, I might talk about it with someone else in the business. If it's something that, you know, is, is impacting something that I'm not really aware of, then I will ask that person, how does this affect you? I think I'm a pretty intelligent person, but I don't know everything. And I also think that's a sign of intelligence is that I'm willing to ask questions. And I think people that ask questions know more than people that don't ask questions. So when it comes to very serious topics or things that affect people in a real way, and even things that affect me, I want to come from a place where I'm not speaking with emotion, where I'm speaking with power and with knowledge and with confidence, because there's always going to be people who disagree with you. And that's okay to have people disagree. But if they disagree, 
it won't be because I gave them bad information or because I'm speaking from a place of ignorance. So I like to really think about it, really search why, if I do feel emotional, why do I feel emotional? Is it right that I feel emotional about this? Am I being a hypocrite? Because that's the last thing I want to be in this life is a hypocrite, but give an opinion or a thought that is coming from a very real place. What I think matters most in our business, well, not matters most, but what I think is something that's very important in our business is authenticity. What's difficult about that is if you're in the business for long enough, you change. We all change. I mean, I'm a different person than I was before this pandemic happened. Certainly I'm a different person than I was a year ago. You know, we're always, we should be always changing and evolving and growing. We feel differently about things. Our experiences change our viewpoints on things. And so what I might have said on air, you know, five years ago, I might not feel that way anymore, but it were, you know, it's the Scotch stuff like, well, you said this, like, yeah, well, I don't feel that way anymore. I now feel this way um, for this reason or for reasons that are none of your business. So it is an interesting, it's an interesting space to work in giving your opinion because everyone's not going to like it. And when it's really important things or impactful things that's going to be elevated even more, you will have emotion and passion behind it. But I think asking the most amount of questions and spending time with the topic is really important for me. I think that's something really interesting that you just said too of, you know, when you're in the business for a certain amount of time and the world changes, you change and to be out there in a public platform having opinions about things and then yeah, down the line, your opinion changes and you're allowed to change and grow and evolve and learn more. And I think, um, I think a lot of times right now people are living in this like moment of fear of saying the wrong thing um, and being crucified for saying the wrong thing or yeah, just finding a way to move within that space. But I think, yeah, just being as educated as you can and not giving out bad, you know, not wrong information. You're giving out the facts and kind of sticking to that. And I think it's lacing in some of the emotion with that. It can definitely be like an interesting place to maneuver in. And you do a beautiful job of it. I feel like anytime I see... The way that you handle yourself, whether it's on the herd, whether it's on speak, whether it's just on social media alone, I do feel like you do um, a really great job and you're, you're like this great role model for so many women. I feel, um, do you have any women that you kind of mentor or girls that, that you stay like in close contact with to help them kind of navigate this crazy world? Well, thank you. First of all, um, I'm really bad with flattery. I don't, I'm like, I don't know. Me what. too. I'm like, who me? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so bad at it. Um, no, I definitely, I definitely try to be available to everyone in the business, not just women, but particularly to women and especially to young black women in the business. I came up in a time in the business because I, I know I look so young, but I've been in the business for 15 years. So I, there weren't that many women in sports at all. And certainly none in the opinion space. So I didn't really have, I have a lot of mentors, but almost all of them are men. So I really leaned on the other women in the business who were my peers, who are my age. And, you know, I have a very, very tight group of women who are all around my age that we all sort of, you know, kind of came up together and we really lean on each other even now navigating through different things in the business. So I try to make myself as available as I can to young women in the business or other just women in the business for advice or, you know, Hey, I can't do this, you know, appearance, but you know, use this person. They're great, whatever. Cause we're, we're all we got. And I don't look at it as competition. I have guys in the business sometimes say that to me, like, well, you know, are women in the business very competitive? Cause there's not a lot of jobs. I'm like, mm, 
first of all, no. Uh, but also more women in the business means it's less of a thing to be a woman. Exactly. That's the whole thing of breaking that down. Exactly. It's not just like, oh, that's the woman on the thing. I don't want that to be a thing. I want I want to get past that to where just we are now a part of the business and it's not a first time hire. It's not the first time. You're not the only one. I don't want to be the only one. I'm happy to be the first of it, but I certainly don't want to be the last. And that's really how I feel. And it's not, that's how I live my life. I really do that because I believe in it. And I really actually think it benefits me as well that I'm not the only one. So yeah, so I, I do definitely mentor uh, some women in the business and, and try and help wherever I can, even if it's just like, hey, I went through this situation. This is what I think you should do, or this is what you definitely should do. And I get that, I get the same feedback from people that I ask advice from as well. Okay, so another thing that you were talking about is being a woman in that opinion space. And there really aren't a lot of them. And there certainly haven't been a lot before you. But you being able to work with Skip and Shannon, for you to be able to work with Colin, to work with these guys that have just carved out such a incredible careers for themselves. Um, what kind of things have you learned from working with them? One routine is very important. And I don't know how much of a routine person I was. I mean, I did do a, a daily show in Miami, but it was radio. So my, I had a routine, but I didn't realize the importance of it as much until I got to the network level. And by routine, I mean, I do the same thing every day. I don't worry about where I'm parking because I park in the same parking spot every day. I wear the same type of stuff to work every day. I order the same thing for breakfast. Like I have a routine. What's your breakfast order? Well, when it, when I was getting breakfast here with, uh, with Colin, I don't get breakfast any, anymore here. Cause I get here later, but it was uh, egg whites, uh, half an avocado and uh, turkey bacon or turkey sausage, whatever they have. Okay. Keeping it clean. Well, I'm a big breakfast person. I love to eat breakfast. I have to eat breakfast or I'm very cranky. It's, it's kind of like the only meal I have to eat at the same time every day, but the routine is less about, you know, being very like military and eliminating decisions that are not creative. So it's this Steve Jobs would wear the same thing to work every day. This is kind of his model. I don't need to worry about what I'm wearing today. I wear the same thing every day. Well, I get here, I have wardrobe, obviously. So, you know, I'm not worried about what I'm wearing to work. I have hair and makeup. You know, obviously these are blessings, but I'm saying these are not things I have to make decisions for. So I can focus all my energy on doing the show. And Colin is very much like that. And Skip and Shannon are very much like that. They really have these very strict routines for their morning and the show. And now Colin's a little different after work because he has kids and, you know, he has a bunch of stuff going on. But like Skip is the same, like he has a routine. And so that was one thing. And now I really love my routine. So routine and preparation. Preparation is so important in this business. And I knew about the importance of prep and had the way that I prepped for my radio show, but this is different and different formats require different prep. You know, how I prepped for Herd is not how I'm prepping for Speak and it's not how I prepped for Undisputed because they're different shows. Obviously, we're covering most of the same topics, but you do it in a different way. So I might need different stats for Herdline than I did for, you know, what I'm going to talk about in Speak. And, you know, for Undisputed, I really wanted something that I know I could end the topic on or I could start the topic on or I could insert to kind of transition into the next, you know, block. So prep is very important. Skip and Shannon 
have a 20 minute meeting in the morning and they don't discuss anything they're going to talk about in. The- Ooh, I like it. Keep it spicy. They reveal <laughs> nothing. And it's very important to the show that it's not revealed. Now they have to know, are you hot on this? Do you like this topic? You know, things like that. Do you agree or disagree? Yes, no, cool. Topic's done. Move on to the next thing. Don't say anything else. Now then they go with their separate producers and then they prep. So that's like, that's not all the prep they do. They do an insane amount of prep, but the meeting is very short for that reason. They don't want to expose anything. But Colin does a two hour prep call before the show because he wants to really flesh out every single topic graphics we really want to get this graphic up there let's do you know this this segment here where we need to do blind resume so give me you know six guys or whatever so he's very he has a very long prep meeting with everyone so they're they have about the same amount of time but the preparation styles are completely different so speak i do i speak to my producer in the morning at you know for about an hour and then come to work, get ready, whatever, hair, makeup, whatever. And then we do a group meeting where we kind of decide who's going to go first and move things around. It's pretty short, but we do flesh out the topics a little bit more. So everything is very different, but it's so important to be prepared for the show. Totally. Nothing makes me more nervous if I feel like I'm about to go on live television. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. It's the worst feeling in the whole world. I don't recommend it. Any young girls or boys listening to this? Don't do that. (laughs) It's not fun. (laughs) And we've seen it go badly for people who do that. Yes. And I'm 100% with you. It is a nightmare feeling. It's the feeling that people have who are afraid of public speaking. There is that anxiety. You don't get nervous doing your show. I don't get nervous doing my show because we're prepared for what's coming. We don't know what someone else is going to say, but we know what we're going to say. And we know we can react to what they're going to say. So, you know, being prepared really eliminates that feeling. And it also eliminates the amount of mistakes that you're going to make because you're going to mess up. All of us are going to mess up on live television. 100% going to happen. Everyone's going to do it during the show. It happens all the time. Do you freeze when you mess up? Are you panicking? Are you making it worse? Or are you just, you know, you keep it moving because you're prepared and you know that, you know, you're going to mess up at some point. So it doesn't derail you. So those are the two biggest things that I learned from, from all of them is have a routine because it really eliminates the stress that you have before a big show and also to be over-prepared. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there and you can see us talking, having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there and jump in the comment section, you know, jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them, maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions. The Sessions.